Guys, I'm so excited to have our guest on, Dr. Zen, who is my own naturopath that I worked with when we were in the thick of saying, okay, we're interested in going back down the path of trying to conceive again for baby number two. But we were not, we were kind of like, let's prep. Both Josh and I were in that mindset of like, we want to be ready and healthy and not have any red flags. I also had gone through a hemorrhage after my birth and labor and delivery with Highland. So we wanted to make sure that everything was good from just a holistic perspective and making sure my health was in the right place. So instead of pursuing the routes that we had taken in the past of fertility treatments through like a, just a different clinic and we had done with Highland with IVF, we got in touch with Dr. Zen. Actually, my sister-in-law and brother used her as well the year before and got pregnant with their daughter, Georgia. And so we are here and we connected with her and we're like, okay, let's just do like preliminary, get us ready to conceive. That's how we came to her. Because Josh also wasn't like, when I asked him about working with you, he was like, are we ready to have baby number two? And I was like, (laughs) well, I don't know if we're ready, but like it took us a long time to conceive baby number one. So we should probably like start down this path. And that's really where we came into this conversation with you. Hey friends, welcome to the Waiting Well podcast. I am your host, Courtney Dunker, and you are here because your journey to motherhood has not looked the way that you always imagined. It has held heartbreak, loneliness, and questions like, why me, God? I'm here to remind you that you do not have to walk this road alone. And here we can wait well together. Each week, I will share faith-based encouragement from my own infertility journey, provide information from guest experts on navigating infertility and conceiving, powerful testimonies, and top tips on stewarding your health and emotional well-being through this demanding journey. So if you are ready to take back control of your life, find peace with God, join the in-between spaces, and thrive in your waiting season, then meet me at the well, girl. Grab that warm chocolate chip cookie, a little bit of unicorn juice or iced coffee. We've got some intentional growth to do. Let's get it. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to talk to you about natural deodorants. In episode nine of the podcast, I had a guest speaker. She's a naturopathic doctor and she was sharing tips on increasing fertility. And one of those things was really cleaning up the toxins in our environment And I was sharing with her that actually over the last few years, I've been on a journey of doing that myself in my own home. And one of those things was deodorant that I switched. Like I went from using just the -the over-the-counter like basic target deodorant to switching up to a more natural deodorant. And so I came across this company called Wild. They are UK's number one natural deodorant company that focuses on performance, sustainability, and style. They are on a mission to clean up the bathroom and they want to free the bathroom from ugly single-use plastic bottles and unnecessary chemicals, which is perfectly in alignment with the tips that Samantha was sharing on episode nine. And so anyway, I really do believe that a lot of us being able to conceive naturally, my husband and I, after literally zero positive pregnancies for six years, had to do with us switching and making these lifestyle changes. Now, I don't think it's everything. I do believe, obviously, in God's timing. But I think we, you know, as stewards of our bodies, it's important that when we're educated on how 
toxins and chemicals and all these things can make an impact on your body, specifically what we put on our body and in our body, that we have a responsibility as the stewards of these physical bodies to take care of that. So I really do believe in that. And I know I've had people message me like, what do you recommend? What do you suggest? And so wild would be a great deodorant to begin with and to start using. It is one that actually works. It's so cute when it comes in the package, like you can actually change out the different little flavors of like what you're rolling on you, which is amazing. So it's all customizable with the case and color and the scent combinations, which I love. And then it's also eco-friendly and all natural ingredients. So it's aluminum and paraben free, as well as vegan and cruelty free. No harsh chemicals, but it still is going to work. And that was one thing I was kind of worried about being an athlete. I'm like, okay, but I sweat and I smell. I'm not like one of those girls that like just slightly glistens and like, you know, cannot go without a shower or whatever. And so anyways, it's made all the difference for me and they sent me some of it to try and I have just been loving the switch of making that natural deodorant. So I highly recommend checking them out. You can actually get 20% off your first order when you use the code AWAITINGWELL and that will give you 20% off trying this. And I think it is worth the effort to actually try and switch up this part of your product if you have not done that yet or if you haven't found one that you like. Again, the code is waiting well, 20% off of your first order. And we're so thankful for companies like this that are just pioneering and helping us create changes to increase our fertility. I'm so excited for you to share a little bit more about like specifically working with me and kind of what that was like and that for people that have been curious. And then also speak from your perspective of your practice and how you approach fertility. So I'm so excited. Why don't you spend a little time introduce like your practice and kind of how you approach things and then we can dive into more of the specifics. Sure. I am super excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this particular topic because I think patients to come to us for a variety of different reasons in their fertility journey. And so often people can assume like, oh, they're coming in because they're just getting off of birth control and going to change diet and lifestyle. When really our focus in our clinic is naturopathic endocrinology, so we really specialize in hormone disorders and really focusing on that infertility perspective. So our patients come actually in like very, like in a variety of different stages and journeys and being able to work with you is just such a pleasure and so much fun. And I totally remember that conversation when we first met and you're like, we're not there yet. Like, we're just thinking about it. Like, we haven't thought about it yet. Like, maybe in a year from now, but like, let's get the ball rolling. And I think, especially in someone who's experienced any type of struggles or roadblocks in their journey, they're a lot more apprehensive to like, how do we get started for this next round? And the idea of like, how long will, will this take? Right. Like, a lot of people, they get married, they get off of birth control and they're like, okay, we're going to start trying. And they're like, oh my gosh, this isn't happening the way that we wanted it to. And it takes a little bit longer than planned. So working with you was so much fun. And I think just something that was very common to our practice is this approach to, we need to think about the whole body and the holistic approach to care. And for those who don't know me, I'm Dr. Alicia Zenhauser and Pfeiffer, but my patients call me Dr. Zen for short. I'm a naturopathic doctor, board certified in naturopathic endocrinology. We have a top rated practice in Scottsdale, Arizona and MD Wellness of Scottsdale, but we also offer online courses as well. So we really try to cater to the education and the empowerment of 
fertility care in the naturopathic space, whether you come to see us one-on-one in clinic, or if you're doing one of our online courses, we do a course that we are so excited about called IVF mini course. And that's really to prepare patients for IVF. It's been really fun to watch because when people take this course, some people have the best cycles they've ever had with IVF, or they were preparing for IVF and they got pregnant naturally. And so it's been so fun to watch, you know, the community grow and be able to give that education because I think as women, we just don't have enough understanding of our bodies. And we really do feel like we have to be our own best advocate. And that goes only to a certain point, right? Like you end up Googling things, seeing stuff on social media, and you're like trying to be your own doctor, but you feel very lost. So That's exactly why a lot of patients come to us. We focus on an integrative approach. So we believe that there's totally a time and place for conventional care, but without the naturopathic or whole body approach, we're really having like a big lapse in care. And so it's really exciting to be able to offer that evidence-based approach without people feeling like they have to be on like candida cleanses and seed cycling and all these things they see online or take the supplement and feeling really lost, right? They're like, I'm trying all the natural things, but nothing's working. But my other option is, you know, IUIs or IVF, but I'm not ready, you know, either emotionally, physically, financially, any of those aspects to go down that route. And so we really get to connect and see patients at different avenues of their journey. And working with you has been so much fun because I think that something that is unique in the naturopathic space is we're really focused on that assessment. Yes, treatment is super important, and we'll kind of dive into that a little bit later, but I think really taking time to learn about you, your health, your husband's health, your daughter's health, like everything that was going on at that moment made a huge difference in what I was thinking in terms of testing that we needed to do and also treatment options. So I think that was something that was important. So whenever I see a patient, I'm always asking them of, you know, about their cycle history from when they started their cycle, any symptoms that they experienced, when did they start birth control, why did they start birth control, right? That can start to give us hints towards different conditions. And then if someone has experienced a pregnancy, how did that pregnancy go? How long did it take to get pregnant? What additional treatments did they use? Like We spend a lot of time because there's so much in the history that I think gives us clues. And in your particular case, right, we talked about like the, you know, dramatic and traumatic like birth that you experienced with Highland and also kind of unfortunately the care that's not provided in postpartum, right? Most of us, we get that six-week appointment, they make sure we're not bleeding out and they're like, enjoy motherhood, like just see you later. Like no like review of blood work, nothing to talk about in terms of, you know, when should I come back? What symptoms are normal or not? They're like, okay, you know, maybe they do a screening and often they do a screening for anxiety and depression right at that six-week mark postpartum. But some people don't experience any of those symptoms until like 12 weeks or like 12 months later. And so there's such a lapse in care. And so by working with our clinic, it's been really fun to see so many patients really excel in their postpartum experience. And I think that's kind of the the way that I kind of approached your case is I knew you wanted to get pregnant, but I was more focused on your postpartum recovery perspective and focusing on your general health. You had a new baby, you were, you know, nursing, like doing all the things. And so often you don't have a lot of time for yourself. And I knew that in order to optimize your fertility, I really needed to focus on helping you find your new groove, right? Like learning the nutritional side, 
figuring out if there's any deficiencies that we needed to address, were there any other endocrine disrupting disorders that had developed after having a baby? Like having a baby is one of those peaks in our life. It's an exciting moment, but hormonally a lot changes. Whenever we see women in general, let's say from like 20 years old until like 65, every time that there's like a big hormonal shift, it's when there's a hormonal fluctuation that's happening. So like anytime that there's puberty, things can happen. Whenever there's a pregnancy or postpartum, that can happen. And then perimenopause and menopause. Those are kind of like the three stages we see kind of a, a start of a new condition that may have not developed before. So maybe something that you had screened before that was normal, getting it rechecked after having a baby is important and something to advocate for sure. So I think that was something that was really important to me is like, how do we focus on your postpartum care first and then address the perspective of preconception? Especially because your husband was like, yeah, well, we're thinking about it, but like, we're not there yet. And I never want to push patients in one direction or another, but I do want to give them the information that they need in order to make the decision that's right for them. So we love to always check for ovarian reserves, so AMH levels in combination with all your other hormones. If we just look at that test, I don't think it's super helpful, but in combination, it gives us a good idea to know, okay, how aggressive do we need to be? And I love using the word aggressive with natural medicine you know, how aggressive do we need to be with treatment? How long should we consider moving forward in the natural perspective only? Do we need to consider adding other interventions in combination? What do we need in terms of evaluation? So I think that is a big part of what we do is you and I got to strategize, right? We spent some time really evaluating like, what were your goals? What were your needs? You were nursing at the time, right? And that was something super important to you. And, you know, it was, something that I think was relevant to our case, right? We had to know like our cycle is going to be regular. When are we going to test hormones? What does that look like? And make it so that you felt really comfortable with the strategy so that you knew what to expect moving forward. So that's a little bit about us and our clinic and, and a little bit about, you know, how I think it started when we first got to connect and start working together. Yeah, I was going to say when you were explaining kind of your guys' approach is exactly how I felt. Like when I came into it, it was like, okay, I know I missed the baby stage and I know I want more than one. So I'm like, okay, you know, but we're not there yet. And I know that I have all these health concerns. And I was also very nervous to even say that I wanted to start trying because of the heartbreak that had come before Highland. And when we had that consultation, all of those things were communicated where it was like, okay, we're going to work on just you being healthy right now. But we're also going to have a plan. Like once you had gone through the panels, you were like, okay, so we have a, we kind of have a, a similar timeline as far as like three, six months out. Once you start trying, this is where you want to be before you start making decisions. Because you also knew that I was at the time, I think I was like turning 34. So it was like, we are in, you know, whatever they call it, like we're moving towards geriatric. <laughs> yeah. I hate that term. It's horrible, it. but yeah. Yes, yes. uh, <laughs> and so you, you were aware that like with all these things considered the fact that you do want a kid, like you have to be mindful of this. So it was kind of like, we had this current approach of like what we're doing today to put you on the path of what you want in the future. But we also, which gave me comfort, had this timeline of because of these things that I'm sure you'll mention, like my AMH and all that and my age, we don't want to go past this point without 
a positive pregnancy happening. And that that like strategy gave me so much peace of mind because it wasn't just this open-ended, we're going to try a few things and see if it works. It was like, we're going to focus on this and then we're going to have these kind of guardrails to protect the fact that you do eventually want to conceive. And we want to have some markers that are going to indicate if we're on that path or not. And I think that gave me so so much peace of mind. It wasn't just like this open-ended, like with Highland before her, it w- just felt like it could Never. go on for years. Like, yeah. who knows? You know, it's just right. like whenever you get pregnant and you were pretty specific with me, you were like, okay, if you don't have a positive pregnancy, once you guys do start trying within like, I think you said like six months, then we need to have a discussion about alternative methods. And that for me was like, I don't know. It just like gave me this like breath of relief. Like, okay, we have a plan. I'm not going to be not going down other options. She's not going to like blow smoke at me and say like, your diet is going to fix everything or like whatever supplements or anything. It was like, there might be, and and you did have that conversation with me. I remember like saying, I know you don't want to do IVF right now, but there could be a time where that might be the best decision for you. And that also helped me mentally just be prepared for what we were going forward with. And I I think too, like, honestly, I remember like you were kind of shocked to hear that answer, like not expecting that. I was that. so shocked. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like, I yeah. think part of uh-huh. me believes that everyone who is more of like a holistic approach, like I, I've just worked with people in the past to just in conversation, you can tell like there's no room for any kind of like conventional, yeah. I think you called it conventional methods. And So for me, I was like, oh, wow, like she would recommend that. Like, I don't, and it's not that you would recommend it, but it was, in certain cases you probably do, but it was just so great that you were like, I understand and hear you, but also there's a time and a place for all things to help you get to the end result. And that was great. Yeah. And I think too, it was like great for you to be able to have that conversation with your husband, right? Like, Maybe he like didn't see, you know, and it's so hard for a, a like a male partner to to know what it's like to go through IVF, like what you had to endure to get to Highland, right? And so I think it's really important that sometimes they're like, well, that worked. Like, let's just do that if things don't work. And it's so important to like have that communication and that time to discuss it versus getting to the point where it's like, okay, you have to start next month. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, I wasn't expecting this. Like, am I doing all the things I need to to prepare? Like, I think it's all about like, you know, prevention and proactive care, whether it is completely natural care or assisted fertility treatments. And so I think that's important too. Or if you had, you know, a difficult relationship with a previous provider, whether it was your OBGYN or your midwife or your reproductive endocrinologist, this is that time to go get a second opinion, get a second, third, fourth opinion, ask around. You need to feel super comfortable and confident with the providers or your like fertility team. So that was something else I think I, you know, recommended was like, make sure that we have that solid basis. And we write letters of collaboration all the time to reproductive endocrinologists and OBs to be like, Hey, we're working with your patient. This is what we're working on. This is what we're doing, but here's the next steps that we're also considering. And this is where we would like you to be onboarded or, you know, be part of that process for our patient so that our patients are getting that streamlined verbiage too. I never want a patient to feel like they come and see us and then they're getting the opposing information from their fertility clinic. And they're like, well, I'm paying a lot of money. 
I'm doing IVF. I probably should do it this way. And they just feel lost in information. I want it to be super clear and educational and that they have the evidence to feel supported so they know that this can go in complement with their IVF cycle. Yeah, which reminds me, I remember I had a conversation when we first considered IVF, like I think it was like two years before we actually did it, two or three years before we actually did it. The reproductive endocrinologist that we spoke with was like, you have like a, I think you said like one to 4% chance of conceiving naturally. And I was like, wow, that hearing yeah. that was just like, are you sure? Sh- it was just wild to me. And then when we worked together going through my blood work, we did notice that my AMH was lower. And that was something I had not heard in how many years of so it wasn't just like, here's why we think conceiving naturally will be difficult for you that that never that conversation never took place outside of us working with you guys. And even from your perspective, it was never like, this is impossible. It was just like, this is going to put a different timeline on how we approach things. And hearing that for me, I was like, I feel like I finally got answers instead of just throwing around the term of like unexplained infertility. It was like, yeah, there's a couple of things here happening that could be why you're having explained infertility almost. And so tell us a little bit more about like kind of how you viewed my case, like the few things that came up that you think maybe people could be missing in their own, you know, unexplained infertility diagnoses and then kind of how we approach that. Yeah. So I think one thing that we, we definitely took into consideration in your particular case was that hemorrhage that, that you experienced postpartum. Yes. After having your baby, everything else looked good and, you know, nursing was going well and your period hadn't returned in this, you know, maybe as regularly as it previously was, but we weren't like seeing like, you know, extreme heavy bleeding or anything that, that was super concerning at that point. However, I was like, okay, she had like a really traumatic birth experience. No one ever checked your iron levels after having a baby, right? Same thing kind of with those AMH levels. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that, right? Like, they tested it a couple of years ago and they're like, it might be hard to get pregnant. And then no, there's no continual care of when do you want to have baby number two? When should we be planning that? I think that's also where patients get lost, right? They're like, oh, I'm starting over. Or like, I didn't know that my AMH would drop so much in a year. Or, you know, do I need to make other, you know, adjustments or, or things like that? Or are there other conditions that could be lowering that AMH that isn't actually just that I have low ovarian reserve? but maybe there's another condition that I am, you know, more prone to, or I have developed after having a baby that is impacting why my AMH has maybe shifted so much within a year or two years. So something that I always look for is I'm always making sure that thyroid function is really optimal. And there's a difference between that optimal and normal. And I know you oftentimes in the like functional medicine, naturopathic space, we talk about that a lot. I actually did a reel recently about the fact that not everyone needs thyroid medication, but we do want your thyroid to be in a particular space, especially if you're trying to conceive, especially if you've struggled to conceive, or if you've experienced recurrent or unexplained infertility. And your TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone isn't enough of a test to give us that information. It's helpful, but sometimes I've seen patients with a totally normal TSH but their thyroid antibodies are extremely elevated and there's that autoimmune perspective that is definitely impacting their ability not only to get pregnant, but stay pregnant. Uh, There's studies that show uh, that just having this 
particular concern or having a diagnosis of Hashimoto's, even though your TSH is normal, can impact your ability to get pregnant. So that was something I was super interested in. You had mentioned that you were tired and fatigued, but you're like, I'm a new mom. I'm not sleeping. Like maybe it's just like the norm. And now after having my son, I totally can relate to that feeling where you're like, is this normal? Is it not? And so I think that's where, you know, we recommend that our patients postpartum meet us at least at the three month mark. And then ideally at the six month mark, because we need to evaluate, are there any other conditions that may have started or developed? Whether it was because of a traumatic birth, maybe it was a complication during pregnancy, maybe nothing. Maybe you felt totally good, but just having a baby has influenced the way that your hormones are interacting. And that that can really help us align better with a better postpartum experience. And then ideally, if you're trying to have baby number two, that ideally that accelerates that process. So thyroid was something that I was super interested in. And of course, because of the bleeding, I was like, we have to check your iron levels to evaluate that. Now, typically when you are evaluating for anemia, your doctor will test what's called a CBC. It's a complete blood panel or blood count. And most of the time it can look totally normal and you can still have iron deficiency. We think that about there's about 10 million Americans today that have some form of anemia who don't actually know that they have it. About 5 million of those, so half of that is typically caused by iron deficiency. So Sometimes we don't see that CBC change right away and we see that iron being an issue. So that was kind of the case in your particular case where maybe your OB, maybe at that six-week mark, did check that you weren't anemic and said, you know, everything looks good, checked you off and moved along. But we really needed to assess more of the iron deficiency perspective. So that is where we also talk about diet choices and lifestyle and nutrition and all of that, because that also plays into patients that are maybe a little bit more likely to have deficiencies or not. So if I have a patient who is plant-based or vegan or vegetarian, they are at higher risk for deficiencies like B12, but iron is the other one as well. We also look at it because patients will tell me, well, I'm taking a prenatal, it has iron in it, like that's probably good enough, right? Well, if you're deficient, it's probably not doing much and it's not addressing that depletion. So Sometimes be very careful that, you know, don't assume that your supplement is is covering your basis. And this is where testing is so helpful. I love supplementation. I think it's super valuable. But when are we testing you? When are we monitoring you? And when do we need to repeat labs? So when we were looking at iron levels, we're looking at a couple of different factors. We look at your serum iron. So we're looking at the iron in your blood. So all of your red blood cells have little spots for iron. We also look at your serum ferritin. That's the storage form of iron, typically in organs like the liver and the spleen. But ferritin can also be a sign of inflammation. So if we see a patient that has you know, normal iron levels, but then their ferritin is very, very high, it doesn't tell me that they actually have a ton of extra iron. It might actually indicate that there's more of an inflammatory condition. So another condition or uh, process that we look into for patients that are struggling to conceive is endometriosis. We see quite a bit of inflammation. We'll see that ferritin be elevated. We also can see iron deficiency even if your iron in your blood looks normal, but your ferritin or the storage form is low. And that was exactly what we experienced with you is we saw that those those storage forms, you were completely depleted. Like you had almost no storage, which means if tomorrow you got in a car accident and you lost a lot of blood, how able would be your body to replenish you with iron? And the answer was not very well. 
And so that was something else that's, that is important. And when we are trying to get pregnant, especially in the first trimester of pregnancy, our body doubles in blood, in blood volume. And that requires a lot of iron changes and dynamic changes. And so if we don't have the storage forms just for us, the chances of us being able to keep a viable pregnancy is just less because now we don't have enough to you know, contain our own red blood cells, but also now the development of our baby. So serum iron levels is something that we definitely look at. And when we're looking at the ranges of ferritin, we want to make sure that in women, the, the level should be anywhere between, you know, ideally we want it 50 and above. Some ranges, depending on the lab company, can be like 40. So you can look totally normal at 40. But if we're not seeing you around like that 50 or 60, you know, ish point, that typically can also be related to that iron deficiency and inability or difficulty getting or staying pregnant. So I think that's important because again, looking at your iron panel, that's where we got all of those pieces of the puzzle. We wouldn't have just seen it just with your CBC. It's again, looking at those different things. So if you're someone who's listening and you're like, I don't know if they've checked my iron levels or I'm interested in asking or advocating for, there's a couple of tests you definitely want to like jot on your phone or put in your notes. So next time that you talk to your doctor about, and I bet, you know, Courtney, you can always put it in the show notes too, is a great option too. But you definitely want to make sure that they're testing that CBC, your serum iron, but also your serum ferritin. Those are super important. I also like to do what's called a transferrin and then a TIBC. So those are kind of the panel that you're looking for in order to really evaluate for iron deficiency. Other things to think about is that lab companies have told us that there are certain ingredients in certain supplements that can interfere with the accuracy of your blood test. So biotin is probably the most common. So this is commonly, it's a B vitamin that's commonly found in like hair, skin, and nail supplements, postnatal supplements, prenatal supplements. And many lab companies like LabCorp recommend that you discontinue those supplements about 72 hours prior to your blood draw. That's a huge deal because it can impact things like your TSH, something that we're looking for. It can impact your vitamin D levels, something else that we look for, and it can impact your ferritin levels as well. So if you recently had blood work and you're like, everything looks normal, but then you're like, oh crap, I think I was taking my prenatal because no one told me otherwise. Maybe at the next blood draw, you know, make sure that you talk to your doctor about discontinuing, you know, any supplements about 72 hours prior to your blood draw that can definitely impact results as well. So just something like if you are working with your doctor and you have questions, these are things that can be really helpful and making sure that things are properly assessed. So often hormones can change within, especially in women within like 30 minutes to 60 minutes. We've seen patients who have gotten two blood draws, like one after the other, and they had two lab orders for the same thing and their TSH can be slightly different. We're constantly changing our hormones, which makes it even harder. So we want to try to isolate any of these obstacles in order to make sure that we're accurately testing you and evaluating you. So as soon as we started to see that iron deficiency, you know, we chatted about what that would look like in terms of treatment options and diet and lifestyle and supplements. But also, is there any additional interventions that we need to consider for not seeing this increase or improvement in levels? And this is so often, I think, another area or gap that we see 
you might be diagnosed with iron deficiency and they're like, take an iron supplement, see you later, and you're good to go, right? No one retests you. No one asks how you're doing. Iron is also super hard on the stomach. So like a lot of people just like do not tolerate it well. So are we changing the type or form that's being used? Do we need to really focus on something like an iron infusion or IV so we totally bypass the GI system and we get a better absorption, right? Our patients are really looking to get pregnant, right? I don't want to wait six months to see their numbers go from 40 to 45. Like I want to make sure that we're in a good range in a quicker manner. Also, they're going to feel a lot better, but most importantly for their future pregnancy moving forward. So I think that was something that we really discussed is, you know, where are we finding iron in foods? What are we doing in supplementation? You know, what's the dosage? What are we looking for? When are we retesting you? And then did we need, you know, the option of iron infusions, which sometimes is something that we recommend for patients? Yeah, I remember in our conversations just being kind of surprised, I guess, by how my health or like where I was at on these panels impacted if I did get pregnant and like the viability of it, because I had not experienced a miscarriage, you know, at all. And so in my head, I was like, that kind of felt foreign because I just didn't get pregnant. Then we had IVF, we got one and that was Highland who came to life. Right. So for me, I was like, whoa, I hadn't even thought that if I even did get pregnant, that there was things within my health that could be causing a miscarriage that I could be missing because I'm not aware of deficiencies that I have. And I think, you know, I do get messages from a lot of women that are struggling with miscarriages. And that that could be one of those areas that is overlooked that like that missing gap that you were talking about, um, when you're not really getting that comprehensive look of everything within your fertility journey. Because like, for example, when I was working with an RE and like at the clinic, I don't think we tested my iron, like what you're talking about. We didn't go as in depth with all these different pieces. And then of course there's the whole like conversation of like what's optimal and what's just average and what's not causing a red flag for them. Right. And so I think that's something to always like that I learned on our journey is asking those questions of like, okay, are these optimal numbers to your provider and making sure that they're like kind of going and being your own advocate for that? Because there could be such a small thing, like if that had happened, you know, and then we did find out that I was pregnant within the first month and a half, I think of working yeah. together, like six weeks in and we were like, okay, you immediately course corrected because you were like, we want to sustain this pregnancy now. And yeah. now that's what we need to increase your iron, like hard, hard, hard. Like we need to go really, we were already working on that, but it was like a different conversation now. So something I learned that I didn't even think it hadn't crossed my mind because it wasn't something we had experienced yet. But some people that might be experiencing it, those are also questions to be, okay, is this related at all to something we're missing on a panel? Like a panel, can we do anything more comprehensive to maybe shed some light to why this isn't happening? Yeah. And also that like follow through, I was just talking to someone, a potential new patient, and she was telling me like, it's also so hard because She was working with a fertility clinic. She had failed an IVF round and she happened to get pregnant naturally right after. And she went to her like RE and she was like, okay, like, can you test my levels? Can you do this? And they're like, well, you're actually not a patient of ours because you didn't do it through treatment and you got pregnant naturally. So like, just go to your OB. And then the OB was like, 
well, we typically do your first ultrasound at eight to 10 weeks. So we'll see you around that point. And she felt extremely lost, right? Like she had experienced a loss before. She had experienced a failed IVF cycle. And now she was kind of in this window of like, no one was there to help or support her. And it's so much more than just a positive pregnancy test, right? Like at the end of the day, we want a healthy and happy baby. That is the goal for absolutely everyone. And it's also the way I kind of look at research when we're looking at naturopathic care is I really don't care if a supplement comes out or a nutritional change or something comes out and says like, wow, it increased positive pregnancy tests. I'm like, awesome. But did it change anything for live birth rates? If it didn't, it isn't worth my time. And I think that also is part of the patient education perspective and something that I like really do try to advocate on social media and things like that, that it's so hard and so easy to be deceived by all of the things on social media, right? Like there's wellness experts and hormone experts and and these beautiful supplements with these beautiful labels and like they say all of these things and you just are like, well, I will literally like go on my head, wear a purple turtleneck. I will literally do anything to have a baby, right? And these kind of companies like know that about their demographic and they're taking advantage of that like really difficult time in your preconception journey where you feel like you're doing it all and then you're like, maybe I should not do anything. And then you get mixed information from your doctor where they're like, okay, stop all supplements or maybe take this supplement, but we don't really know. It can just feel really overwhelming. So I think having that integrative team really also helps us with not only that positive pregnancy test, but moving forward, right? Like we were able to say, okay, you're pregnant, amazing. Now we got some extra work to do and we also have to monitor how our treatment is working. It wasn't just double your dose and see how it goes, right? Like let's make sure that what we're doing is working and being able to see our patients in preconception, we had labs done prior to conception. So in our first trimester appointments, we generally check different types of labs to make sure that there's no changes that are happening. A good example, again, is that ferritin. If you know someone was iron deficient prior to pregnancy, they started treatment, we started monitoring them, and then all of a sudden when they're pregnant within the first couple of weeks, their ferritin is doubling, even though we've changed nothing with their supplementation, then I'm a little bit more concerned of that inflammatory perspective or what else is going on in their system. So I think definitely taking that approach and really throughout not only preconception, but also in that first trimester, we see our patients, you know, once every trimester, but really focusing on, you know, that, that continued care because there's so much in between, right? Like you get your first ultrasound and they're like, okay, well, we'll see you in a month. And you're like, okay, I don't feel baby yet. Like, I don't know if, you know, I'm feeling good. Is this a bad sign? I'm not vomiting. I'm not having nausea or maybe I am. Is this normal? Like there's so much to preconception care that I think is missing in just the traditional conventional care model. And I think taking an integrative approach is really helpful. And part of it is just learning how to advocate for your health. And that can be hard because you didn't, you know, not everyone went to school to be a doctor, right? Like they don't know what to ask for or what to look for. And so that's where I think, you know, we really try our very best to be an advocate for our patients so that they understand what to do moving forward, right? Like I always tell, and I think I told you this, I'm like, you will have, you know, your midwife, your OB, you know, someone who's going to deliver your baby. I love babies, but you do not want me to be the one to deliver your baby, right? Like it's important to have your integrative team and also be able to advocate for what needs to happen next. And I think that's really important so that you feel comfortable moving forward in your pregnancy because there's so many what ifs and all of these things. And we always want to 
focus on the positives, but we also want to minimize the risk as much as possible. There was actually like a recent study that was done just looking at like if we implement lifestyle, nutrition, exercise, supplementation, how is that impacting or even medications in this particular study? How is that going to impact long-term effects in pregnancy? So we're thinking things like preterm labor, gestational diabetes, the need or requirements for additional interventions like C-sections and things like postpartum depression. Like when do we need to implement those different factors? And they found that what we did in the first 16 weeks of gestation is the most important. And that's really important because So often women immediately get pregnant and they're like, I'm not going to exercise because I'm terrified that like, I'm going to like, you know, something bad's going to happen. And they don't have the support yet that they need in order to really change the trajectory of their pregnancy and their labor and delivery experience. And so I think that's also something that people don't know what we do in that first, you know, trimester and a half here that can make an ultimate difference in your risk of gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, like all of these different factors. And there are certain things that can't be avoided or things that, you know, happen in pregnancy. I was a good example. I had gestational diabetes in my pregnancy. And I remember telling my doctor, I was like, no, no, I think you have the wrong patient. Like I'm a naturopathic doctor. I exercise, like there's no way. And she was like, Actually, we tested it three times because we also didn't, you know, we were worried that, you know, there was a mix up and, you know, your body changes so much. The placenta makes us very insulin resistant. If you were at risk of, you know, insulin resistant or insulin resistant prior to pregnancy, there's just a higher chance moving forward. So I think too, luckily, you know, I use lifestyle and diet and all of those things to be able to mitigate any risk. We had a healthy, happy baby, like perfect to term, like all of these amazing things, never had to use insulin. But again, I think it had a lot to do with my education and actually going through that experience changed the way that I practice medicine now. And when I see these red flags of when we should be starting interventions. And I think to go back to the iron deficiency perspective, I just had a patient recently who had failed multiple rounds of IVF and she had both like male and female related factors. So there was a reason that she was going to be starting her next round or next cycle of IVF. But she had come to me being like, okay, this is our last round. We've spent all of our money on IVF. Like we need to do everything we can to maximize our chances of success with this particular one. We did notice that she was iron deficient. We addressed the iron deficiency. We actually made her prolong when she started her cycle for IVF, which is hit or miss. Sometimes if someone has a lower AMH or depending on their age or things like that, we wouldn't want to do that. But in this particular case, I felt comfortable where I'm like, okay, I need a, I need three months. Like give me three months so that we can really make sure your iron levels are in a good place before you start, start IVF. She had the best egg retrieval ever and she's pregnant. She's now, I think, 16 weeks pregnant, which is amazing. She's doing really well. And it had a lot, I think, to do with just addressing these particular nutrient deficiencies that she just didn't know was something that she was constantly experiencing. So it's been just so fun to watch, you know, these patients really develop and grow. And also like, just like you, right, share it with your communities and be like, oh my gosh, like, right, share that, that knowledge. And I think that's something we just don't do enough of. And I think that's, you know, one of the powers, right? People talk a lot about like, oh, all the bad things about social media, but there's so many positives as well. And being part of a strong community that helps you advocate for your health, I think is, is so important. That's so amazing. Like just hearing that, because I know it's so easy to fall into this place of discouragement. Like 
it will never happen for me. And it's like, sometimes it just, it just takes the right combination, you know, and the Lord, like the Lord's timing, of course. But so with that, like what, obviously, you know, I think people do hear my story and they're like, work with doctors in and get pregnant. <laughs> and it's funny because like I, my sister-in-law, she had the same experience with you. Like she literally got pregnant. I think like six weeks within working with you or the first three months. And so I had that, like, I didn't have that expectation. Cause I was like, well, she didn't have all the years of issues that, you know, yeah. and so in my head, I was like, we'll see. And then having it happen similar to me, it was just like, okay, what is, what's going on here? You know, so it's easy for people to hear it, I think, and be like, okay, Dr. Zen is a miracle worker, which she is, but, <laughs> but you do, you are aware, like, also from the medical side that it's not always, like, A plus B equals C, right? And so- 100%. What would you oh, say yeah. for someone out there who's like, I do want to work, maybe they want to inquire with you, maybe they want to inquire more with like a naturopath in their area, whatever. Like, obviously I worked with you from Hawaii, so that's absolutely doable if you don't live in Arizona. But what would you recommend for someone who's like wanting to kind of pursue this component, whether it's in complement with something, a treatment they're already pursuing or trying something new and just going a different direction than what they've tried before? What I I have to say, I think like, you know, part of what we do, right? There's definitely a, a little bit of component of just luck, right? And to see you and your sister-in-law both get pregnant in a short amount of time, I think there was some luck in there for sure, right? And I think that, you know, we're so lucky and fortunate to see so many positive pregnancy tests, so many live births, but we are a naturopathic endocrinology practice and we see the worst of the worst too, right? We see miscarriages, we see, you know, late stage complications. We see a variety of different things. I think that's also something on social media, right? We see the highlight of everyone's life or their businesses, but there's also this side where patients come to us and they're still struggling to conceive and and all of those factors or it didn't happen in six weeks and it took a year, right? Like everyone's timeline is a little bit different. I think what I think is important as a listener is to know that it's important to be part of the conversation. So if you have worked with your OB, your midwife, your reproductive endocrinologist, and you feel like there's all these tests that have been done on you, you don't really know what was done or not done, or you feel like they're just pushing you into another round of IUI or IVF, because that's the next step in their like plan, right? Like most people know you do three rounds of IUI, they fail, and then you go to IVF, right? Like would doing that additional, if you've done two failed IUIs, is doing that third IUI really going to improve your chances? having those tough conversations with all doctors, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, of what are my chances? Like, what are we looking at? What what are we changing or doing differently? Is it just, again, hoping that things get better? I think the other problem that we have, especially in the research for fertility care, because often we're doing it in fertility settings, so in IVF clinics, is when you look at the research, it's sometimes really hard to interpret because instead of changing one thing, they change like five things in a protocol and they're like, okay, this didn't work last time, but we're going to change these five different things and hopefully it works. And then they saw an improvement. And it's like, well, what in those five things really made the biggest improvement? So I think there is definitely an art to medicine, especially in reproductive endocrinology. So having a good understanding with your doctor of what their goals are, what their strategies are, I think is really important. Also, and this is something that I tell, you know, my patients, I've talked on social media about this, but if something isn't working or if your doctor recommended something, whether it's a nutritional change, a supplement, 
a medication and it did not work, I want you to go back to your doctor. And I know that sounds crazy because you're like, they gave me something and it didn't work. Why would I go back there? When we're working in medicine, we have certain strategies or plans, right? We go from the thing that is most likely down to the least likely. And maybe the thing that was at the top of our list was wrong. Maybe we were wrong and we needed to go to the next step, or maybe we needed to make an adjustment, or maybe you interpreted how it was supposed to be taken or for how long was different from actually what the doctor recommended or suggested, right? So I recommend that, you know, before jumping ship and being like, I'm over it, like I'm moving to someone else, consider going back and making sure that you are having that conversation of this isn't working. What is our next step? Right. Sometimes I hear that patients feel frustrated because they're like, oh, they're just recommending another round of letrozole. Like nothing's changing, no dose changes, like nothing's being evaluated differently. Like they feel frustrated. And so I think that at least having that conversation with your doctor, you'll have a better idea of what it is moving forward. And I think, I think part of the problem too is the length of time of visits, right? It's like that 15 minute visit. They're telling you what to do, but they really don't have the time to communicate their thought process. That's why our visits are longer is because I think that thought process perspective allows the patient to feel more comfortable with what we're thinking moving next. So I would say that would be kind of my first suggestion. The second is, again, advocating for blood work. I think blood work is so valuable. Blood work on its own isn't enough. And so, again, that assessment, that evaluation from your doctor or your medical team is super important. That's why sometimes when we see like ads for these at-home tests and we're like, oh, well, should we start there and then kind of go from there? A lot of times they're really expensive if they're not serum-based or blood-based. If they're like a saliva or urine-based hormone testing, they're extremely expensive and they're not validated to change what your doctor will do. So even if the website says, you know, this is a validated test and, you know, all of the like laboratory methods are correct, that's great, but that doesn't mean it ever changes the way that we're going to treat a patient. And so I don't want patients to overspend on testing because they're trying to advocate for their health, but they're also trying to play their own doctor and then they feel frustrated. Or they did this test and they're like, I brought it to my doctor. My doctor looked at it and was like, I don't know what to do with this. And just just you know, said, well, that's great that you did this, but it doesn't change what I'm doing. And they feel frustrated when in fact, it's more an educational perspective of like, why aren't we using those particular types of testing, right? Like when we look at metabolites for hormones in urine, That seems to be something that could be helpful, but we have no data to know what to do with said results. So sometimes more information isn't always better. And so be very cautious about, you know, not being deceived by people maybe online or on the internet or whatever, that you can do everything from home. I do love home testing. I think it's amazing. And, you know, I hope that that advances in the future, but I think we're just not there yet. So those would be kind of things that I would focus on is, you know, Follow people on social media that you feel comfortable with, that you you know like their their approach, and start kind of collecting that information, and then schedule an appointment with your doctor and have those conversations. Like today, we talked about iron deficiency. Maybe it's something to just message in the portal to your doctor and say, "Hey, like I you know listen to a podcast, and I you know am really interested in learning more about my iron levels. Can we run this test?" The other thing I always suggest is, even if your doctor says, "Well," You don't have the symptoms, so we can't order it and it's not going to be covered by insurance. Ask them if they have a cash pay pricing option and what that looks like. A good example is, you know, an AMH level, for example, can be hundreds of dollars. And so, you know, sometimes doctors will say, well, if it's not covered, it's going to cost you a lot of money. 
we have a negotiated rate with LabCorp and it's like $52. Like most patients are like, hands down, like I will pay the $52 to get the information. An iron panel is like $20 to $30. Like it's not very expensive. And that's where sometimes you can go to a lab company that offers on-demand lab options where you can order your own testing. So LabCorp does offer that as an option. There's like any lab test now is another company. There's a variety of different companies that are nationwide that you can go and, and just order your own blood work. Now, I don't want you to go to Google and try to interpret it all. That's where the line kind of gets a little blurred. Instead, take that information to your doctor. I've had patients do that before, people on social media or people have taken our courses and their their doctor's like, oh, wow, I'm really glad you actually did this because now we can start working on this. But in their particular conventional space, maybe they just didn't know how to code it correctly or you know, they, they had a hard time figuring out where, what that best option is. So sometimes there is that, that point of you know, becoming your own patient advocate and there are ways around working on, on different factors like that. And then with the supplement component of it, make sure that you talk to your doctor about all the supplements that you're taking. And if you're taking something like vitamin D, that's very good for a variety of different fertility conditions, make sure that they're retesting you. Like, what are your levels? I had a patient the other day, we did like a, like a super low level of vitamin D in a supplement form and her levels were like so high. She just absorbed it like crazy. Where I had another patient, we did high levels and it took forever for them to like absorb that in the right way. So so again, like making sure that if you're taking something, that's great, but making sure that you're, you know, advocating for that and for any kind of monitoring testing. Remember that testing should tell us something we don't already know and change something. If it's not telling us anything or it isn't monitoring a, you know, supplement or intervention that you're taking, it may not be necessary either. We talk about this a lot in patients with perimenopause and menopause. I get all the time like, my hormones look crazy on blood work and all of these things. And your hormones are going crazy during perimenopause and menopause. We don't actually diagnose based on blood work. So sometimes blood work isn't valuable. But I think in, in the fertility space, there's definitely some great value. And then, you know, print out your labs that you had previously done. Look through what was done. Talk to another physician or ask your doctor, hey, can I speak with your nurse? I just would like to know a little bit more about what was tested. Right? You spent a lot of money. You need to know kind of what was done to, you know, kind of move forward and be part of your case and part of your your treatment journey. So I think those are kind of the things that you can do today that can really make an impact on your fertility journey and doesn't require coming to see me in my clinic, which I love and we are accepting new patients. However, I know that not everyone that's, you know, not something that's offered for everyone. But again, you know, or again, doing an online course, maybe just to get that educational information. I, you know, something that I have a goal for this year is to really help people advocate for their health and be surrounded by good information. That is my biggest, you know, pet peeve, I think, with social media is so many people say that they're experts and they're sharing these diet trends and elimination diets and all of these things that end up hurting the patients more or it delays their ability to get a proper diagnosis. And that's something that I'm really so passionate about is is helping patients feel comfortable and advocate for their own health with simply just education. Like the more you know, the more you can advocate for, the more that you can think of moving forward. And that's, I think, you know, hopefully something that we continue to share with not only our patients, but our audience as well. Yeah, I think that was like one of my favorite things about working together was just really learning even more about my own body, learning how to advocate and just 
have those conversations because there, it, I did have a great experience with IVF. Like I don't regret that at all. Obviously it brought me high yeah. and all that, yeah. but like thinking about your IVF mini course and stuff like that, it's like, that is so, those are resources that are just kind of invaluable because if you are spending that kind of money on that treatment plan, and that's where you're at, like putting yourself into a headspace of knowing everything that you can to increase your chances. Like there's so much I know now about egg health or even just us working together that you put me on, you know, different supplements for just increasing the quality of my eggs since we're my, you know, lower AMH. And it's like, those are such simple supplement changes that like, who knows what, like I only had the one embryo come from our IVF cycle. So it's like, who knows what like three months of work prior to that could have looked like instead of just taking the basic approach that I had taken because I just simply didn't know that I could make that impact on my own essentially without being directed by it. So I just love that. I think that's incredible. Would you mind sharing how people can get a hold of you? What's the best way? Like going on your website, whatever, just in case they do have inquiries and want to connect with you. Yeah. Instagram's probably the best. You can just send me a quick DM. My Instagram handle is drzennmd. Feel free to send me a message or if you have a question, we have a ton of links in our bio, whether it is working with us one-on-one. We offer complimentary consult calls. So if you're like, I don't know if this is the right fit for us, we do that. We also have our online courses and we write blogs every single week about fertility or hormone health. So if you're just wanting to get good, valuable information, we hope to be a resource for you as well. So that would probably be the best place. And if you're interested in becoming a patient, you can actually do it directly through the link in bio and access our website. Our clinic is nmdwellnessofscottsdale.com. So you can also go to our website, but Instagram's a great way. I've started to get back on TikTok. It's like a whole thing, but definitely I'm always on Instagram. So if you are interested in following along or have a question, feel free to send me a message there. That's perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your wisdom and just kind of, I know a lot of people have been so curious about our journey because it was so different than conceiving Highland. And so I appreciate you coming on and being able to speak to that side of things because I'm like, I don't know, I worked with her, we worked on these things and then I was (laughs) pregnant, you know? And so it's just such a blessing to hear your perspective and also just those educational resources. I wrote down the iron names of the tests as well myself because I'm like, I would love to just retest those specific and make sure I do retest them prior to birth and all that for my own sake. So super helpful, tangible resources. I appreciate your time and obviously the impact that you've had on our own journey. So thank you so much for, for being here today. Oh my gosh. Thank you. It's been such an honor to work with you. I can't even tell you you know, every time I get to work with patients, it like lights up my fire. Like I just like, I just love what we get to do and seeing, you know, all the cute little happy babies and pictures and all of the things is just like the best and seeing, I'm so excited to see Highland as like a big sister. It's going to be so cute. Yeah. (laughs) I love that we're doing this interview, like literally at the end of my pregnancy, because we haven't had a chance to speak since then. And so it was just so fun to catch up today and be like, wow, we started here and now here we are. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, thank you so much. And I'm so excited to share this with everyone else and hopefully the impact, the ripple effect it will have of your education and your experience. So thank you. Thank you. I am so glad that you chose to meet me at the well today. If this episode inspired you, changed you, or blessed you in some way, I would love for you to do one of two things. 
first, head to Apple Podcasts at that link below and leave a review. And second, screenshot this episode and share it in your stories, tagging me at Sewn With Strength or text it on over to a friend that this episode might bless. These are the number one ways to thank me. I am truly so grateful to be building out this community and I cannot wait to see you on the next episode. Until then, go get a workout done for me and I will see you right back here at the Waiting Well Podcast.